Chapter Four of the Diamond Pin by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Four, Timkin and his inquiries. You must be out of your mind, Mister Hughes," said Bannard. But as a matter of fact, he looked more as if he himself were demented. His face wore a wild, frightened expression, and his fingers twitched nervously as he picked at the edge of his coat. Of course, I haven't been up here today before I came this evening that new york herald was never in my possession because i live in new york city i'm not the only one who reads the herald but your aunt subscribed only to the times where did that herald come from i'm sure i don't know it must have been left here by somebody i suppose and this half-burnt cigarette of the same brand as those you have in your pocket-case other men smoke those too i assume well then the check with this stub shows to have been drawn to-day to you where is that not in my possession if my aunt made that out to me it was doubtless for a present and she may have sent it to me in a letter in which case it will reach my city address to-morrow morning or she may have put it somewhere up here for safe-keeping almost unlikely said mr chapin shaking his head did mrs pell send any letters for the post-office to-day does any one know campbell was called and he said that his mistress had given him a number of letters to mail when he took miss clyde to church that morning was one of them directed to mr bannard asked hughes how should i know said the chauffeur turning red oh it's no crime to glance at the addresses on envelopes said hughes encouragingly curiosity may not be an admirable trait but it isn't against the law and it will help us a lot if you can answer my question then no sir there wasn't and campbell looked ashamed but positive and there was no other chance for mrs bell to mail a letter to-day went on hughes no sir none of us have been to the village since and the post-office closes at noon on sunday anyhow all that proves nothing said bannard impatiently if my aunt drew that check to me it is probably still in this room somewhere and if not it is quite likely she destroyed it in a sudden change of mind she has done that before in my very presence you know mr chapin how uncertain her decisions are that's true the lawyer agreed i've drawn up papers for her often only to have her tear them up before my very eyes and demand a document of exactly opposite intent so you see insisted bannard who had regained his composure that check means nothing the new york newspaper is not incriminating and the cigarette is not enough to prove my guilty presence at the time of this crime unless the police force of varian can do better than that i suggest getting a worthwhile detective from the city hughes looked angrily at the speaker but said nothing that is not a bad suggestion said chapin this is a big crime and a most mysterious one it involves the large fortune of mrs pell which i happen to know was mostly invested in jewels these gems she has so secretly and securely hidden that even i have not the remotest idea where they are is it not conceivable that they were in that wall safe and have been stolen by the murderer good lord exclaimed hughes i didn't know she kept her fortune here nor do i know it returned chapin but doubtless something of value was in that safe now empty and i only surmise that it may have been her great collection of precious stones have you her will asked bannard abruptly yes her latest one replied chapin you know she made a new one on the average of once a month or so who inherits i don't know a box bequeathed to miss clyde and a something similar to you probably contain her principal bequests 
this house however she has left to another relative and there are other bequests i do not deny the will is that of an eccentric woman as will be shown at its reading in due time that's all right broke in the coroner but what i am interested in is catching the murderer and solving the mystery of his getting in supplemented hughes she might have let him in assumed timkin all right but how did he get out that's the mystery mused chapin i can see no light on that question whatever can you winston no said bannard shortly there is no secret entrance to this room of that i am positive and with the windows barred and those people at the door as it was broken open there seems no explanation oh pshaw said timkin that's all for future consideration the lady couldn't have killed herself somebody got in and the same somebody got out it's up to the detectives to find out how if a human being could do it and did do it another human being can find out how but let us get at the possible criminal motive is the first consideration the heirs are always looked upon as having motive said lawyer chapin but in this case i feel sure the principal heirs are miss clyde and mr bannard and i cannot suspect either of them iris ridiculous exclaimed bannard for heaven's sake don't drag her name in where is miss clyde's bedroom asked hughes suddenly directly above this room returned bannard are you going to suggest that she came down here by a concealed staircase and maltreated her aunt in this ferocious manner mr hughes do confine yourself to theories that at least have a slight claim to common sense and yet when the coroner held his inquest next day more than one who listened to the evidence leaned toward the suggestion of iris clyde's possible connection with the crime the girl's own manner was against her or rather against her chance of gaining the sympathies of the audience the inquest was held in pelbrook the big living-room was filled with interested listeners who also crowded the hall and drifted into the dining-room the room where mrs pell had died was closed to all but curiosity seekers hovered around it outside and inspected the steel-protected windows and discoursed wisely of secret passages and concealed exits as the one known to have last spoken with her aunt iris was closely questioned but her replies were of no help in getting at the truth she admitted that she and her aunt quarrelled often and agreed that that was the real reason she had decided to go to new york to live but her answers were curt even angry at times and her manner was haughty and resentful great emphasis was laid by the coroner on the tenor of the last words that passed between iris and her aunt the girl admitted that they were quarrelsome words but declared she did not remember exactly what had been said something in the expression of the maid agnes caught the eye of the coroner and he suddenly turned to her saying did you overhear this conversation taken aback by the unexpected question agnes stammered yes sir i did where were you in the dining-room clearing the table where was miss clyde in the hall just about to go upstairs and mrs pell in the hall by the living-room door why were they in the hall mr and mrs bowen had just left and the ladies had said good-bye to them at the front door and then they stood talking to each other a few moments what were they talking about agnes hesitated but on further insistence of the coroner she said miss iris was complaining to mrs pell about her habit of playing tricks was miss clyde angry at her aunt she sounded so certainly i was broke in iris 
i had stood that foolishness just as long as i could you are not the witness for the moment miss clyde said the coroner severely agnes what did mrs bell say to her niece in response to her chiding she only laughed and said that miss iris looked like a circus clown then what did miss clyde say she said that mrs spell was a fiend in human shape and that she hated her then she ran upstairs and went into her own room and slammed the door have you any reason to think agnes that there is any secret mode of connection between mrs spell's sitting-room and miss clyde's bedroom directly above it why no sir i never heard of such a thing absurd broke in winston bannard utterly absurd if there were such a thing it could certainly be discovered by your expert detectives there isn't any declared hughes positively i've sounded the walls and examined the floor and ceiling and there's not a chance of it the way the murderer got out of that locked room is a profound mystery but it won't be solved by means of a secret entrance yet what other possibility can be suggested went on timkin thoughtfully and the connection needn't be directly with miss clyde's room suppose there is a sliding wall panel or an exit to the cellar in some way but there isn't insisted hughes i'm not altogether ignorant of architecture and there is no such thing in any part of that room moreover how could any outsider come to the house get in and get into that room without any member of the household seeing his approach the two women servants were in the house but campbell the chauffeur and purdy the gardener were out of doors and could have seen any one who came in at the gate might not the intruder have entered while the family was at dinner and concealed himself in mrs pell's sitting-room until she went in there after dinner possibly agreed hughes but in that case how did the intruder get out and that was the sticking-point with every theory no one could think of or imagine any way to account for the exit of the criminal mrs pell had undoubtedly been murdered her injuries were not self-inflicted she had been brutally maltreated by a strong angry person before the final blow had killed her the overturned table and the ransacked room the empty pocket-book and handbag were the work of a desperate thief and it really seemed absurd to connect the name of iris clyde with such conditions more plausible was the theory of bannard's guilt but again how did he get away there is a possibility of locking a door from the outside said coroner timkin i've thought of that returned hughes but it wasn't done in this case i've tried to lock that door from outside with a pair of nippers and the lock is such that it can't be done and too polly heard mrs bell's screams at the moment of her murder the criminal couldn't have run out and locked the door outside and gone through this room without having been seen by someone you were in the dining-room polly yes sir and i ran right in here there was no time for anybody to get away without my seeing him the facts as testified to were so clear-cut and definite that there seemed little to probe into it was a deadlock mrs pell had been robbed and murdered apparently there was no way in which this could have been done and yet it had been done the two who could be said to have a motive were iris clyde and winston bannard it might even be said that they had opportunity yet it was clearly shown that they could not have escaped unseen bannard was further questioned as to his movements on sunday he declared that he had risen late and had gone for a bicycle ride a recreation of which he was fond where did you ride asked timkin 
up broadway and along its continuation as far as red fox inn that's about halfway up here i know it i stopped there for luncheon about noon and after that i returned to new york you lunched at the inn at noon shortly after twelve i think it was the inn people will verify this they know you not personally but doubtless the waiter who served me will remember my presence and after luncheon you returned to the city i did reaching your home at what time oh i didn't go to my rooms until about twilight it was a lovely day and i came home slowly stopping here and there when i passed a bit of woods or a pleasant spot to rest i often spend a day in the open you had your newspaper with you i did what one the herald but even as bannard said the words he caught himself and looked positively frightened ah yes there is even now a herald of yesterday's date in mrs pell's sitting-room but that isn't mine that that one isn't unfolded i mean it hasn't been unfolded you can see that by its condition mine i read through and refolded it untidily even inside out fine talk said timkin with a slight sneer but it doesn't get you anywhere that new york paper that cigarette end and that check stub seem to me to need pretty strict accounting for your explanations are glib but a little thin i don't see how you got out of the room or miss clyde either but that consideration would apply equally to any other intruder and we have no other direction in which to look for the person who robbed mrs pell leave miss clyde's name out said bannard shortly if you want to suspect me go ahead but it's too absurd to fasten it on a woman perhaps you both know more than you've told i don't declared iris her eyes snapping at the implication i was angry at my aunt i've told you the truth about that but i didn't kill her nor did her nephew because we are her probable heirs does not mean that we're her murderers your protestation doesn't carry much weight said timkin coldly we're after proofs and we'll get them yet mr bowen will you take the stand the rector somewhat ponderously acquiesced and the coroner put some questions to him which like the preceding queries brought little new light on the mystery but one statement roused a slight wave of suspicion toward iris clyde this was the assertion that mrs pell had said she would call her lawyer to her the next day to change her will with what intent asked timkin she promised that she would have all her jewels set into a chalice and present it to me for my church oh she didn't mean that mr bowen iris exclaimed why didn't she she said it and i have no reason to think she was not sincere she may have meant it when she said it put in lawyer chapin but she was likely to change her mind before she changed her will that's mere supposition on your part objected mr bowen but i know my late client better than you do she changed her will frequently but her fortune was always left to her relatives not to any institution or charity she said that she had never thought of it before mr bowen related but that she considered it a fine idea oh then you proposed it said timkin yes i did replied the clergyman i suggested it half jestingly but when mrs pell acquiesced with evident gladness i certainly hoped she would put at least part of her fortune into such a good cause 
you heard this discussion miss clyde asked the coroner of course i did it occurred at the dinner-table and were you not afraid your aunt would make good her promise she didn't really promise afraid then that she would carry out the minister's suggestion i didn't really think much about it if you mean did i kill her to prevent such a possibility i answer i certainly did not and so the futile inquiry went on nobody could offer any evidence that pointed toward a solution of the mysterious murder nobody could fasten the crime on any one or even hint a suggestion of which way to look for the criminal sam tory a brother of agnes the maid testified that he had seen a strange man prowling round the pell-house sunday morning but as the lad was reputed to be of a defective mind and as the tragedy occurred on sunday afternoon little attention was paid to him roger downing a young man of the village said he saw a stranger near pellbrook about noon but this too meant nothing no testimony mentioned a stranger or any intruder near the pell place in the afternoon the bowens had left the house at about three and polly heard her mistress scream less than half an hour later no one could fix the time exactly but it was assumed to be about twenty or twenty-five minutes past the hour this meant the coroner pointed out that the murderer acted rapidly for to upset the room as he had done while the mistress of the house was bound and gagged watching him then afterward as timpkin reconstructed the crime to torture the poor woman in his efforts to find the jewels or whatever he was after and then in a final frenzy of hatred to dash her to the floor and kill her by knocking her head on the point of the fender all meant the desperate speedy work of a double-dyed villain as to his immediate disappearance which took place between the time when he dashed her to the floor and when purdy broke in the door the coroner was unable to offer any explanation whatever End of chapter four